invite you to turn with me this morning again to the book of Psalms. This morning we are looking at Psalm 121. I will tell you that of the Psalms, this is perhaps my favorite. Just a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the most popular favorite, the 23rd Psalm. Last week, we looked at an obscure one, one that if we're honest with one another, we probably confess we've not heard much. We certainly don't recognize it very much. We looked at Psalm 113. And today, uh, because I can, I chose what happens to be my favorite. (laughs) Of all the classics, I, I absolutely love this. The psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve you from all evil. He shall preserve your soul. The Lord shall preserve your going out and your coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. The psalm begins with really what you could just call a context or a setting. The situation is, the psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. The psalmist then asks a rhetorical question. We are, honestly, we are uh, done a disservice when we read these first two lines, not understanding what the psalmist is doing. He's not asking about help coming from the hills. Instead, his rhetorical question is, from whence comes my help? The King James, I lift up mine eyes to the hills, from whence cometh my help? He says that as he lifts his eyes, he's caught by a question. And the question is, where ultimately lies my help? Where does my help come from? He then makes a declarative affirmation, much like the affirmation of faith that we're very familiar with, the Apostles' Creed, where we have just a snippet of our faith. He says, my help comes from Yahweh, the Lord, who made heaven and earth. And then what we have is what I'll call a litany of praise. All that follows is this this diatribe of praise that the psalmist lifts to Yahweh, who made heaven and earth, and who ultimately is His help. Now this curious statement of lifting up one's eyes to the hills, 
we, we miss the meaning of this psalm and we miss its significance if we don't know a little something about the ancient Near Eastern culture in which the psalmist lived. The Hebrews lived among people who worshipped on the hilltops. In fact, when Israel was inheriting the promised land, one of the first commands they were given upon that inheritance in the book of Deuteronomy was that they were to enter the land and they were to destroy all the temples and all the shrines, all of the altars that were on the hilltops. That's where the pagans worshipped. That's where the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites and all those ites worshipped. They would go up to the hilltops and they would build altars to their gods. After all, where else are the gods going to live? They're going to live on the biggest, highest thing available. In pagan culture, the idea was that the gods were, were met with on the hilltops. You remember in Greek uh, mythology, you had Mount Olympus, where Zeus and all the other Greek gods dwelled. And so that's where you go to meet with God. That's where you go to meet with the gods. That's where you go to do business, to offer your sacrifices to the gods of the ancient Near Eastern world. The psalmist says almost kind of dismissively, I lift up my eyes to the hills. And he stops his thought and he asks this rhetorical question. Where's my help coming from? From the hills? No, my help comes from Yahweh who made those hills. He made heaven and earth. He made all that there is. One of the most unique doctrines of biblical faith, one of the most unique doctrines of the Hebrew faith in the Old Testament is that of creation. That God spoke and the world was brought into being. See, in all the pagan myths, the gods really ultimately were a part of the created order. They were like superhumans. They were big and bad and they were strong and they were powerful and they were beautiful and they were scary and they were all those things that we associate with humanity, but they were all that to the nth degree. They were the baddest of the bad. They were the biggest of the big. They were the most powerful of the powerful. That's why in, in all of the, mytho- the, the myths of the ancient world, you have the gods behaving just like you and I behave. Just like our neighbors behave. The gods could be deceitful. The gods would tell you one thing and the next day it was something else. The gods had needs to be met. In fact, 
the world was kind of brought into being in pagan mythology to serve the needs of the gods. Humans were created to provide food for the gods because the gods got hungry. We heard just a couple of weeks ago a uh, testimony from Stephen and Laurie Vaughn about their, their new world in, in India and how they had uh, encountered these pagan gods set up. Some of them you would swing to keep them entertained. And we look at that and we laugh and we think that's so silly. But that was basic theology in the ancient world. And I think we'll see in just a few moments that that is basic theology in the modern world. Because we still live among gods. The Bible affirms that there are other gods at play. Lowercase g. Now those gods in the end are the making of our own hands. But a god is something in which we put ultimate significance and ultimate power. Something in which we put our trust. The psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where's my help coming from? Not from the hills. My help is coming from Yahweh, who created heaven and earth, who created all things, who made those hills, who made those people who worship on those hills. He then, during this litany of praise, he then considers the situation, considers God's greatness negatively, first of all. He affirms that Yahweh is not like all of the other gods. He's not a God who sleeps. He's not a God who slumbers. He's not a God who has to be entertained. He's not a God who has to be fed. He's not a God in need. He's not a God in need of whether it be sleep or ego. He's not a God that we can meet the needs of and can manipulate like the gods of the ancients. It's not like those gods. He's fundamentally different. In fact, He created the world to love it. Not ultimately to be served by it. We do ourselves a great disjustice when we assume that our most fundamental purpose in life is to work for God. And we cloak that in a number of different ways. We, we speak of things that are very good, like my goal in life is to worship God. Well, what do we mean by that? My ultimate goal in life is to 
follow God. To serve Him. Even the catechisms sometimes begin that way. But I think the biblical idea of man being created in God's image suggests to us that our most ultimate purpose in life whether in this life or the next, is to know and love God. He made us in His image to know Him and to love Him. To be the objects of His love and to find ourselves becoming the beloved and the lover. We are the beloved. We are the ones who receive His love. And in turn, we are called to be Lovers. Those who find in Him the direction of our love. That's why the psalmist is so obsessed with the name Yahweh. That's why you find the Lord mentioned so many times in the psalmist's pages. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade at your right hand. The Lord shall preserve your going. This God who has made Himself known to you, He knows you. He loves you. He provides for you. He protects you. He made all that there is. And yet He's given you His name to be known. Not just to be served. Not to have His needs met. but to be known and to be loved. One of the most fundamental elements of love is trust. To love is to make yourself vulnerable. To put trust into the beloved. To yield yourself, to bear your neck. And that's ultimately the question of this song. In what do we trust? Where do we put our confidence? The psalmist considers the distinctness of Yahweh negatively, that He's not like the other gods, but he then also considers it positively. Yahweh cares for His people. He sees them not as objects to be manipulated, not as objects to serve His whims, but He sees them as the beloved, the objects of His love. Not the objects of His needs being met. And so that's why the psalmist can say, He is your keeper. He is the shade at your right hand. The sun will not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Remember that ancient context. The sun and the moon were great forces. The sun often finding himself as being the chief of the gods. The sun and the moon were things to be feared. All of nature 
were things to be feared. Natural occurrences and even unnatural occurrences that happen in the world, such as war. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. His keeping watch over you will not slacken. The Lord, Yahweh, shall preserve you from all evil. He'll preserve your soul. He'll watch over your going out and your coming in because He cares for you. He loves you. And He makes Himself known to you. It's with this in mind that Jesus told the multitudes, why would you worry? After all, look to the birds of the air. Consider the lilies of the field. Bill, you know a Florida is a lily. I'm telling you, riddled throughout uh, Scripture, you have the call of the saints. <laughs> Jesus, the birds of the air, they, yeah, they rose up, but there's the lilies of the field as well that God cares for. Jesus said, look at nature. God cares for the world that He's made. Look at, the, look at the love that He shows to birds. To even falcons. And, and look to even the flowers. Because one day they'll be there and the next they won't. Looking as a Saints fan at two losses to start the season, I think, yeah, yeah one day they're there and the next they're not. But Jesus' point is, if God cares for the natural realm so much, why wouldn't you think that He doesn't care for you? He made you in His image. He made you to know Him and to love Him. He cares for you. It's in that context that Jesus says... Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these other things, all these things that we find ourselves worrying about, they'll be added to you. If we seek the giver and forget about the gifts... then you find that this giver loves giving gifts. You know, we try to teach our kids, not just me and Lindsay, but we all, 
if we you know, care that our kids not grow up to be trolls in life. We try to teach our kids to kind of be calm and patient about gifts, not to be obsessed with gifts, not to, not to be like uh, the, the, the punk cousin from Harry Potter who's counting up the gifts and you gave me 36 last year, why are there less this year? I think all throughout life, God is trying to train us to not be trolls in life and to calm down, to stop obsessing about the gifts and instead focus on the giver. To seek God for His face, not His hands. And when you find His face and then you take a look at His hands, you realize what kind of God this is. A God who gives ultimately. As Jesus told Doubting Thomas, take a look at my hands. He bore the wounds of the gift giver. Jesus tried to tell the multitudes, yeah, there are things to worry about in life, but tomorrow bears its own burdens. Why worry about tomorrow today? There'd be plenty of time to worry about tomorrow tomorrow. Seek the kingdom and seek His righteousness. God will take care of you. Lift up your eyes to the hills, knowing that your hope doesn't come from the hills. Your hope comes from the one who created them. Yahweh. What worries do we have? Be honest. What are those anxieties that you bear? What is it that keeps you up at night? What is it that when you wake up at night, you can't seem to shake and get off your mind so you can get back to sleep? A lot of us worry about the future. What it holds, what it's going to be like, even the future like next year. We worry about work. We worry about family. How things are going to work out with the in-laws. We worry about how our needs are going to be met. I think ultimately that's what all worry is about. That's why we worry about work. That's why we worry about the future. That's why we worry about the in-laws. That's why we worry about all those things we worry about. I think it ultimately boils down to how will my needs be met, whether they would be emotional needs, relational needs, financial needs, spiritual needs, societal needs, 
political needs. What worries me? And I think we then have to ultimately ask, where do we put our trust? Because we'll find a place to put our trust. We'll find something to meet those needs. Maybe it's another person. Maybe it's a better job. Maybe it's more income. Sadly to say, maybe it's Washington, D.C. Lord, help us. Maybe it's the markets. What the economy is doing. Are we going to spring back? In the ancient world, just as today, ultimate trust was put in power. The source of power. What gets the job done? What gets it done efficiently? What gets it done finally? What gets it done well? And we can call power a variety of things. We can call it money, cash or credit. But ultimately, money means power. It means ability. I remember, um, I think it was Danny Cochran, one of our AIM pastors in Mississippi, a number of years ago. This had to have been 10, 11 years ago. I was at a, um, I was at a men's retreat. And uh, he was sharing, and he said, he said, you know, money's not the most important thing in life, but it's right up there with breathing. <laughs> and I thought, okay, that's pretty funny. His point was, you can't do anything in this world without it. Money means power. Even our church growth books and some of the best sellers of the Christian bookstores use that term, influence. And influence is ultimately about power. If I can become a more influential person, then I can take control of the situation. The Old Testament had something to say about that. One of God's instructions to the king was you will not build and develop a standing army and a fleet of horses because you're not like the other nations. You don't use the conventional wisdom of the nations to try to do the Lord's work. Now obviously,
these are all matters that we have to at least deal with. We do have some interest in what goes on in Washington, D.C. We do have some interest in what goes on in government around us. The ancient, uh, the ancient Greeks had a name for those who thought that politics had nothing to do with their lives. And they called them idiots. That's where that word originates. person who's so hunkered down and ignorant of what's going on all around them. We have some interest in what's going on in the markets, what's happening in the economy. I mean, I think just fundamental Christian love ought to drive us to want the best for our neighbors. We don't want to see anyone suffering. Power, money, influence, control. All of those things are things that must be dealt with in life. But ultimately, those cannot be where we put our trust. The moment we have made them the source of our help and strength is the moment we have displaced God and we have made them our gods. And this was a temptation all throughout Israel's history. There was always the temptation to go back to those hilltop altars. There was always the temptation to... Go back to that thing that works. And to abandon the one who was their keeper, the shade at their right hand. The psalmist tells us in suggesting to us that he lifts up his eyes to the hills. He tells us ultimately to look up. Your help is in the Lord. Your help is in the one who made the hills. Your help is in the one that made heaven and earth. Look up to Him and put your trust in Him. And as Jesus said, and all these other things, all these other worries, all these other sources of anxiety, you'll find He's able to meet every need. You'll find that He's able to provide, able to protect, able to watch over His own. Because He cares for them. What worries do you have? Where do you put your trust? 
Are you willing to look up? Let's pray.